Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's Bible study is entitled Creation or Evolution, Part 5. Good morning. Welcome. It's your first time, uh, those of you first time to Bible study, is your first time to this church? Is it? Is it? First time, the Minnesotan? Not your first time, so you're, you're kind of aware of what I do and don't do? I don't want to shock anybody. I don't want to shock, I don't want to be a shocker. He's kind of strange. He comes across smart, and then he acts real dumb, and that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> we're going to be uh, several places, mainly on the screen uh, this morning, because uh, we're going to be jumping lots of places. And I told you last time that we're going to be looking at, I gave you two different pictures in one chart, and, uh, and then I realized I've misspoke. You're, somebody's got a phone in the aisle out there. Um, I don't want you to miss your phone call. I don't know whose that is, but... Uh, so I forgot, I, I misspoke, I got ahead of myself, so that one's going to be next week. So make sure if you're interested in seeing that guy with the hooked nose and the chart, it's going to be next week. We're going to be looking at the ages of old in chapter 5 of Genesis. But today, we've got to at least backtrack a little bit because we have to, we have to deal with some things, uh, in particular carbon-14 dating. And so we're going to do a little bit. Did I tell you all that I got, a, that I got, a, um, I got, the, I got the chemistry award in high school? Did I tell you that? Well, you need to know that because that's incredibly important because nobody has ever acknowledged me up until this point. <laughs> so I got it. And it doesn't mean necessarily, it just means the average was, you know, so low that I... Anyway, I have to, I have to do that because my parents were big on, on academics and so I have a degree in fish, fisheries biology, because my parents paid for it. And there you go. That's all I've gotten out of it right there. You've nodded your head at me. And then I've got, I got a, I got a, I got a science and, and uh, chemistry award in ninth grade and twelfth grade. So there you go. I know you're impressed. So we're, we're, uh, we've, we're, we're going to be lots of places, like I've said here. And uh, looking at things, I, I hope you've been able to learn. I will warn you, as I said to some ladies earlier, that uh, you know, when you bring up these kind of topics with committed evolutionists, you're going to get a reaction. It won't be good. They, they don't like to be told, I'll just warn you, that what they so confidently purport is actually a faith system, that they just believe it. And they won't like you pointing that out to them, I promise you that. Uh, the, the, you're going to have some, you know, how to win friends and, and gain enemies, well that's one way to, you may, you may get some people that will listen to you, but the ones that my experience has been, you, you start saying it's a belief system, oh my goodness, you know, they want to pit uh, creation against science, it's like, well, no, creation doesn't have a problem with science. Creation has a problem with evolution. Evolution isn't science. It's just not. Scientists believe it, but I have other scientists that believe creation. They're welcome to believe whatever they want to believe. So it's got nothing to do with science, really, truly. Uh, we, and we've been, we've been looking at that. We saw last time that uh, the curse or the second law of thermodynamics totally defeats evolution's argument. Things don't go uphill by themselves. If you have any, you got any ranchers here? We got several. Kirby. So you're riding down a fence row and there's a turtle sitting on a fence post. What do you know? He didn't get up there by himself. Someone put him up there. Now, Kirby's as bright as I am. He, he missed a few things just like I would, but that thing I wouldn't miss. I would say, who's been down this fence row? Turtles don't get on top of, top of fence posts. That's what, what you have. What do you have in creation? You have a turtle on top of a fence post. Any same person can look at that and say, somebody put it up here, because things don't go uphill. They don't go to the top of a fence post, and they don't stay at the top of a fence post, they, and, and live up there. They, they go downhill. Uh, turtles don't stay up there. They fall off. He, he takes the turtle off, and he goes around and comes back around the next day, and that same turtle's back up there. Put up a trail camera, camera Kirby, because you need to know who's, who's on your property, because somebody is going through and stacking that turtle back on top of a fence post. Uh, what, what, what we have in creation, you can observe, like I said, you're a scientist in, in whatever field you're in, you've, you've observed, you, you didn't make it this far without being, uh, making some conclusions and some observations. There's some things because of you've lived long enough that you will do and you will not do, and the reason why you will not do them because you have observed that it does not work that way. Or you have observed that it does work that way. And, oh no, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do that. That's why we need to go to the older because they've already made all their mistakes. 
You know, so you become a scientist in whatever field, whatever life you're, you're, you've been involved in. So don't, don't let these guys talk you out of thinking that you're a scientist and somehow waving their degrees in front of your eyes and making you think somehow they're smarter than you. That, that may be in, in their field. But again, don't let them talk you out of what you can see. You, you can see this stuff. You can see that things don't get better unless you push them. If, if things have become more complex and more ordered... Your son, uh, like mine, could destroy his whole room. And then you go back in there a day later and his room's all straightened up. Now, you, didn't, you never thought for a second that that just happened that way. You knew that he was probably going to, he knew that he was going to get in trouble. He went and straightened up, or he paid, as my case, my, my son, paid one of his sisters <laughs> to go in there and straighten up. But it doesn't get better by itself. In fact, if he does nothing, it will still get worse. It'll get more dusty. Uh, things fall apart. Uh, stuff uh, falls down. It doesn't fall up. I mean, again, these are just common sense things. And if we'll just simply use our common sense, it defeats the whole, per the whole premise of, uh, of evolution. So things don't go uphill. They go downhill. And it, in order to be pushed uphill, it requires energy and intelligence every single time. There are no exceptions to this. The entire universe, the sun, the moon, the planets, your body, your car, everything has been pushed, has come from a high state of order and is degenerating down to a low state of order. Everything's headed back, as we talked about last time, equilibrium. Everything's headed back, as it says in the scriptures, back to dust. So we're going to be considering uh, several things here, but we need to pray before we get started. God, we just submit ourselves to you. You're the one who holds the truth. And if we know any truth at all, it's because you intervened in our lives and you pulled us uh, out of the darkness, you pulled us out of our biases, you pulled us out of what we wanted to do. Uh, and we're so grateful for that. What we were pursuing, what, what we thought was best for us, what, um, what we thought was real life. And you opened our eyes. Lord, we thank you for those who were faithful to teach us, faithful to care for us, uh, faithful to put up with us when we were young and... and uh, and uh, thought we knew everything, but in fact we didn't. God, we're grateful for those people. Help us to be those same kind of people to the world you sent us to and, and to represent you well, to be patient with these who are, who are deeply convinced uh, of a science that is nothing more than a belief. Thank you, God. We pray you'd open our eyes today as we study together. Help us to hear you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think you'll agree with me, there is, uh, evolution is counter to logic, is counter to science. It really is, truly. Uh, there's a fine line between faith and stupidity. I want to show you uh, what I, if you will, what I think is some pretty serious stupidity. So it's been calculated by evolutionists, the odds of life originating by chance. This is not creationists coming up with his numbers, this is actually evolutionists. Uh, just, just calculating the odds, and here's, here's the odds. One chance in 10 with 40,000 zeros after it. That's some serious odds. In fact, that's, um, it's the same as it can't happen. It's impossible. It's, in fact, it's even more, that's exponentially uh, impossible. But, uh, so, so let me give you an idea of just the magnitude, because 40,000 zeros, what does that mean to you? It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. But let me give you, in, in the sense of uh, some terms you may understand, cover the entire face of the earth, including the oceans, with silver dollars or maple leaves. By the way, did I tell you that I'm willing to exchange one of my federally stamped green pieces of paper with a dollar mark on it for any one of your silver dollar coins? <laughs> Before you buy, you don't want to buy the bridge that we're selling, by the way, with those nasty silver coins. I mean, goodness knows those are antiquated. You want these green pieces of paper because they're far more valuable. So anybody crazy enough to follow me on that, like I said, you can turn around and buy a bridge with it. This is the same kind of number, uh, the same kind of thinking. It's a crazy number. I'll give you an idea. You cover the whole planet with silver dollars or silver maple leaves. Fill all the oceans with silver dollars. Both poles, all the sides around the equator to, to a depth of 100 feet with silver dollars. Color one a different color, paint it red or orange or whatever, doesn't matter, just one, put it anywhere on the planet, put it on the surface, put it at the bottom of the ocean, doesn't matter, but only one can be colored. 
and then get a blind man. He can walk anywhere he wants to. He can walk to the poles. He can walk across the oceans. He can circumnavigate the whole equator. He can do whatever he wants to. But he can, on, he can dig as deep as he wants to into these silver dollars. But he can only pick up one coin one time. What's the chances of him picking up that one silver dollar? By the way, that, that number that I'm giving to you is just 1% or 1% of this number. It, so that kind of gives you some parameters. It's, uh, this is an unimaginable number. It's ridiculous. The number of electrons in the universe is a number far less than this. So keeping these things in perspective, now with that kind of perspective, let's hear some famous evolutionists, for instance, Thomas Huxley, and his commentary on that number. No one would bet on anything is improbable happening, and yet he's a believer. He cannot prove. There is no proof of that. I mean, again, I, I reiterate this, and again, evolutionists will flare up on you, get super mad. But they're asking you to believe in the supernatural because that's the only way this would work. There has to be supernatural intervention. Again, their, their whole reasoning has come all the way back around to say, yeah, it was supernatural. As a matter of fact, who, who was that that did that? There was intelligence. And anyway, they've, they've argued themselves out of position. He's a believer. He really is. And then we have uh, Dr. George Wald, a noblest, by the way, Harvard University. One is only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that the spontaneous generation of living organisms is, yeah. But notice what he adds. He's a believer. And that's all he is. He's a scientist in other areas, but there is no science in this. There's no science in 1 times 10 to 40,000 zeros. Uh, that's a ridiculous number. So God created everything, and everything is held together by him. So let's, let's do a little bit. Like I said, I've got, a, a, I got, a, a, I got the chemistry award, so I can draw these very complex designs for you. <laughs> the hydrogen atom. Let's do a little chemistry, but let's, let's talk about some, some, some issues of reality. Of course, uh, evolutionists, scientists, humanists don't believe in the spirit world. They don't believe in miracles, even though, like I said, they're pushing miracles on you. They're pu pushing supernatural on you. But we, we call the physical world the real world. If I can't see it, if I can't smell it, if I can't touch it, I can't believe it. But, but many of us don't really realize what we're really dealing with. So, so let's, let's, let's do a little chemistry, how, how good you are with a few exceptions here. The rest of you, the rest of you aren't, aren't as smart as I am because I've studied up already this week and I drew that picture for you. <laughs> so let's talk about the pew you're sitting on. What, what is that? Is it a solid, is it a liquid, or is it a gas? It's a solid because that's what you've been told. But actually, actually on a, an atomic level, it's none of the above. Because an atom is not made up of primarily solid stuff. An atom is primarily 99.999999% just space. Everything that is made up of atoms, the air that you're breathing, everything you can see, taste, touch, feel, everything you're aware of with your senses is made up of atoms and is therefore 99.99999% space. Well, let me explain it to you with a, with a simple uh, hydrogen. This hydrogen atom, so it's got one proton in the middle, one electron. If they're extremely small, I mean a super, super tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny, inferred, uh, we can only infer the size of these things because they're just incredibly small, can't see them. But if we raise the size of the proton to the size of a basketball, the comparable size of an electron would be the size of a pea. And that's, you know, that's startling because there's a huge difference between the size of these two things. The thing that's more startling about this is the distance between these two. If, if we raise them up to this size, the atom would also increase in size, the valence of this electron that's flying out there billions of times every millionth of a second, uh, is about nine miles. So if I have a basketball, this is, if we've got a, an atom with a, pro, here, a proton that's a basketball size, then there is a pea swinging an arc out there nine miles away with a diameter. So we've got a, an atom the, the, the mirage, if you will, the valence of this atom is 18 miles. But actually, 99.99999% of this atom is just space. 
So you're made of atoms, so what are you? Somebody calls you a space case, you know, they're hey, right. That's what you are. So, so really, we live in a world that's sort of, uh, uh, on an atomic level, it's a mirage. It's just a mirage. And we say, well, the spirit world isn't real. Well, <laughs> I can't find much real. There's not much real at all about the physical world. It's actually just, just a mirage. It really is. Created by the valences of these, uh, these electrons and, and these atoms. And so it's, it's amazing when you see that. And this is, uh, again, it means that we're a space case. And atoms are little wonders of the created order because they defy the rules. And what do I mean by that? Their, their center is made up of positively charged particles. Uh, Here's, here's a bigger atom. You know what that one is? It's got a U in the middle. I don't want to tell you what it is. It's the heaviest occurring, naturally occurring element in the world, uranium. Do you know that the Canadians have the largest deposit of uranium in the world? I told some of our Canadians, so the Texans were getting up arms, including going to see the, the children at the, um, at, the, at the border patrol places and stuff like that. We're also going to march on Canada. Because they've got all the fuel up there. So I think it, we could call it North Texas, just really north. There's almost as many people living in Texas, you realize that, as there is in Canada. The populations are not that much. There's more in Canada, but not a lot more. So I think we could take them. I think I, we go up there. Their government's already taken away a lot of their guns, and so we know that. We march on them and uh, go up there and get them. The largest deposit of uranium is northern Saskatchewan, the Athabasca Basin, in the world. Bar none. And it's cold. Colder underground where all that stuff is. But anyway, uranium. Uranium is the heaviest occurring. It's nine times heavier than gold. Heaviest occurring, naturally occurring element. This is, uh, it's spectacular. So U308 is, is a compound naturally occurring. U238 is what you're looking at there. 92 protons, 146 neutrons, 92 electrons. At valences that start, if we raise the, so if you had 238, if you will, basketballs in this room, neutrons a little bit bigger than a proton, but 238, if you can imagine that, 92 protons, 92, or 146 neutrons, in this room, you'd have a pile, you know, I don't know how exactly big, but it wouldn't be a lot bigger. It's tremendously bigger than a single basketball and one electron when, when, you come, when it comes to a hydrogen uh, atom. But it's not that much bigger, and your valences for these electrons start about 9 miles, and they reach out to some, somewhere like 25 miles, once, if we raise it up to that size. So you can imagine, if you're a nuclear scientist, and we got one here, if you're firing neutrons at the core of this thing, the, neutron, the, the, the center, the nucleus, it's hard to hit it. We just think, well, you just split atoms any old way. Yeah, um, you got that much space, you've got this atom that's covering, you know, 25, by the way, a radius of 25, so a diameter of 50 miles, and you're firing that thing to hit the center of it. Where's the center? You're going to have to be a really good shot, because it's mainly space. Again, it's, it's the most dense, uh, naturally occurring uh, uh, element in the world. But it's the, the, the problem with this atom and any other atom that has more than one proton, and this one has, like I said, 92, is... No one talks about why this thing's holding it together. It shouldn't. So you know, if you take two magnets, you take two positive ends and try to stick them together, what do you get? They don't stick. A negative is attracted to a positive. So you know this, like you're scientists. We're all scientists here. You know this. That works everywhere in the world except in the nucleus of an atom. There is not a... The physics don't work for atoms. They are an anomaly. They are the basic building block, of course, of all that is, all that we see, all that we can smell, touch, taste, everything else. And the basic building blocks doesn't really have, doesn't make sense. I mean, at least you know, from, a, from a scientific perspective. Like charges repel. So I have 92 like charges in the core of a uranium atom, and they're not all exploding. Why? In fact, they're not only not exploding, they're hard to split. Every other atom is like this as well. Uh, very hard to split. Something is holding them together. It's called the binding force. It's also called the nuclear force. Uh, very makes it them very difficult. And what happens if you do split them is you release the energy that's holding them together. And you want to make sure that if you're doing that, you're wearing a lead suit because that energy is will kill you. We call it. It's new. It's the essence of. It comes from the nucleus, thus nuclear energy. It's the essence of atomic uh, uh, bombs and uh, nuclear, uh, nuclear energy and our nuclear power plants and other things. 
So, so uh, just as an example, the atoms in this Bible, of course it's paper, but there's, it's made of atoms, right? If you could split them all and get the energy from them, just this Bible, just with the cover on it or the cover off of it, you would get energy, the same energy produced by the Hoover Dam in one year. That's incredible. Well, you've got to burn fossil fuels. Why, why are people against fossil fuels? Because we're running out of them, for one thing, and they cause carbon problems and other things. But man, if you could harness what's happening in the nucleus of these atoms, that's the essence of, of nuclear energy. It could be a beautiful thing. Now, it would be hard to split, I would think, and maybe possible to split the carbon atoms that are inside those things. But, but uh, one pound of anything, air, if you could get a pound and a half of it, I mean, I'm sorry, a pound of it, it's equal to 1.5 million tons of coal as far as the amount of energy if you could split. So you, there's a tremendous force. So it's not, not only do, does positive charges stick together, they stick together in a major way. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because, again, what's holding this together? The Bible actually has a very direct explanation. Something very, very powerful is holding this place together. And if he ever stops holding this place together... Watch out. By him, all things were created, both, this is talking about Jesus, both in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow, uh, again, Hebrews 1. Jesus is the radiance of his glory, speaking of the Father, the exact representation of his nature upholds all things by the power of his word. So he put it all together with a word. Just sticks it. It just sticks it. So what if he stops sticking it? Like I said, watch out. Peter tells us that. Oh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. How do you, how do you burn the heavens? Hmm. And the elements will be destroyed with intense... He's not talking about a forest fire. We're talking about elements burning. That's a different thing. The earth and its works will be discovered since all these things will be destroyed in this way. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So remember, when God created things, he took subatomic, created subatomic particles, put them together as atoms, and then assimilated them into stuff like us, like trees and plants and animals and other things. So he's going to undo it, Scripture says, the same way he did it. He gives us the word. The word holds us together in his power. Like I said, what's holding these, these nucleuses together? There you go. And when he decides he doesn't want to hold them any together, he retracts his word, watch out. New heavens and new earth. Why? Because he's going to completely eradicate. It's not like you're just cleaning house. We're talking about completely disassembling every last atom. What will that be like? Wow. So with all that uh, chemistry talk, now that you're better, let's talk about how old the earth is. Let's talk about carbon-14. This is a, this is a, a uh, word, words that are being bannered about in our culture because it's the end-all, beat-all, explains everything. Carbon-14 uh, tells us that we've been here for millions and billions of years, et cetera, et cetera. You hear all that. Again, no one, no one ever challenges them on this. So you have proof of this. So can you repeat this in front of me? They can't do it. And I'm going to show you the reasons why they can't do it, because it's, it's unreliable. So let's say we talked about measuring tapes before. Let's say we have a measuring tape. You go down to Walmart and you buy a measuring tape, but it has no marks on it. It has no words, and the tape has no marks on it. And in fact, that's what happens. Somebody, the conspiracy happens, and they remove all the marks from our measuring tapes. You go home to your toolbox or whatever, you pull out your measuring tape, all the marks are gone. Some kind of anomaly has happened in the universe, and no one knows how long feet or centimeters or meters are anymore. But I've got a measuring tape and you've got a measuring tape, so what do we do? So we all get together and we vote and decide how long our measuring tapes are, but we really don't know. So people over here in, in uh, I don't know, uh, since we've got so many Minnesotans, the Minnesotans vote and they probably vote us out because there's so many of them in this room. They think that our measuring tape's 15 feet long, but us Texans, you know, we don't want to listen to anybody from up north. <laughs> we think our measuring tape's 12 feet long. But the Canadians all know that it's, you know, it's, not the, it's not their system, it's, it's not our system, it's their system. That's the reason why we're going to march on them, because they say that their measuring tape is 25 feet long. So we all come to this universal agreement with no marks on our tape. 
and we just mark them the way we want to because we've all agreed how long that is. But we really don't have any basis of measurement. This is carbon-14. So let me explain it to you. So, so we don't have science, right, unless we approach it scientifically. That's not what happens in carbon-14. We can't, in order for it to be science, believe anything. And we can believe something and then test it, but then after we've tested and gotten the results, it's no longer a belief. You understand? It's a fact. Oh, it's a fact. We believe 2 plus 2 equals 4, but when we add two apples to two apples, we wind up with four apples. Now we don't believe this anymore. We actually, I mean, we, we have a fact now. It's, not, it's irrefutable. So, so, so we have to have that, and carbon-14 doesn't have that. It doesn't have facts. It has beliefs. It has assumptions. So we all assume that the measuring tape is 25 feet long when, in fact, it's four feet long. So what happens to all of our measurements? Uh-oh. I guess if we all agree together, but if you agree in Canada and you agree in Minnesota, we agree in Texas, some different kind of measurements, then everybody has these weird-looking houses and strange-looking yards and all kinds of stuff. How big is your yard? Well, I think it's 60 by 70. But up in Canada, it's 1,000 by 400. We've got to have something, you know, and what you have in radiocarbon dating is you have that very thing. So what happens, is, in what carbon-14 is, is you have a regular carbon atom, which is C12, C carbon-12. That's the regular atom of carbon combined with oxygen, CO2, right? That's our problem with our greenhouse gases and all this stuff uh, that they talk about. Uh, but flying up in the upper atmosphere, mixing with nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, and everything else up there, being hit with uh, solar radiation, uh, some of your uh, nitrogen atoms dump a couple of neutrons, and those neutrons are absorbed by carbon atoms, and so they go from C12 to C14, but they're still combined in a, in a compound like CO2. So the two carbons, or the carbon that's inside CO2, is got a, got, got, it's heavy. It's got two extra neutrons. This is, they're radioactive. They're wanting to dump this neutron, and they naturally do this. So, so, so a part of the carbon dioxide that's in the world today is radioactive. You, it's in this room. It's in your body. Did you know that? So we talk about the nuclear scientists glowing in the dark. All of us glow in the dark to, on a certain level. You got, all of you have been nuked. It's just naturally occurring. Now, don't get upset because you're not going to live forever anyway. So, you know, you got to die somehow. You're going to die carbon-14. Carbon-14 won't kill you. You'll die way sooner by something else. Carbon-14 uh, uh, is in the environment. So, so it naturally produces in our upper atmosphere. It is, of course, carbon dioxide, whether it's carbon-12 or carbon-14, is naturally absorbed by plants. Plants breathe in carbon dioxide, and they breathe out oxygen. So they assimilate carbon, whatever it is, carbon-12, carbon-14, into their systems. And then an animal comes along and eats that plant. He absorbs carbon-14 into his system, and then we go out hunting, and we shoot that animal, and we eat that animal, or we eat the plant before the animal ever gets to it, guess what happens? We get carbon-14 into our systems. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you, you got, you've been nuked. Carbon-14, the way, the way we measure it is, so the idea is that it fluctuates within plants and animals as long as that animal is living. It, we're offloading it, onloading it every time we breathe, every time we do uh, eat or whatever. But the, the carbon ingestion stops when you pass away. So it's fixed. Now, if we can know the number of the carbon-14 into your body, we can know when we dig you up 100 years from now how old you are. By the way, if it's 100 years from now, we already know we have a record of your death. So we don't need to judge your carbon-14. Where the speculation comes in is we don't know when you die. And so what we do is we test the carbon-14, and here's the idea. So the amount of car carbon-14 has a half-life of 5,730 years. So every carbon-14 molecule has that half-life. In other words, if I start off with a pound of carbon-14 and I wait 5,730 years, I'll only have a half a pound because it denatures. It starts kicking out these neutrons. It goes back to its, again, everything goes downhill. It doesn't go, doesn't go uphill naturally. So back to a state of equilibrium. And the premise is, if we measure the amount of carbon-14 in an organism, as long as we know what it started with, which that's the problem, we have to assume we know what it is. Again, just from the get-go, how do we know how much carbon-14 is in your body, sir? We don't. How do we know what the plant started with? 
We don't. So if we don't know what the original measurement was, we cannot know what the final measurement is. Ever. We're just guessing. But, of course, you've never heard it that way. You've always heard that these are absolutes and that they're irrefutable, yada, yada, yada. It's carbon-14 measurable. It certainly is. The problem with it is you've got to know what the, the number you started with. And they don't. They can't. It's not science. It has never been science, and, and they know that. In order for radiometric dating to be accurate, we have to assume or believe several things. Again, as soon as you hear that, you know you don't have science anymore. You don't have science. Yeah. How many apples did you start with? Well, we don't know, but we think it was this number. Well, how can we know that somebody stole them if we don't know what the number we started with? Well, we, it makes us feel better if we just simply say we had this number. Well, we're not into feelings here. We're talking about science. So for carbon, here's several, several problems with carbon-14. Number one, for this dating to be accurate and reliable, we have to assume or believe that the rate of decay remains same over the years. So that that, again, like the half-life is 5,730 uh, years. The, the problem with that it is that it is only assumption. It cannot be proven. In fact, it's been proven unreliable. We have other radioactive isotopes like U-238, the, the uranium uh, atom, or, uh, or heavy iron, uh, F-57. We know that these don't denature in... Uh, the, 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 their denaturing is over a wide scale. Some do it this fast, some do it that fast. The conditions are not, it depends on the animal that has it or the circumstances of the situation or how far north it is or how far south it is or how bright the sun is or all these different variables. And since you don't know all the variables, you don't really have an answer. So we can't depend on U-238 or, or F-57 to denature decay in a reasonable, measurable fashion consistently. But we can with carbon-14? No. No. No, no, no you can't. We have to assume that. So number one, you have to assume that decay remained the same. You number, number, number one. Number two, you have to assume, uh, believe that carbon-14 production remained the same over the years. So we have to assume that the, that the nitrogens and the carbon-12s up there were, were still getting hit with the same amount of solar radiation, and they were dumping neutri neutrons at the same level. Again, one of the basic premises of evolution is this uniformitarianism. Everything has always stayed the same. It has never change. No one took the measure marks off their tape. No one moved them around. It's always been the same. They can't prove that. It's not science. They assume this. We know for a fact in, in, in that, that production has not remained the same over the years. For instance, the Industrial Revolution vastly changed production of carbon-14. Nuclear tests in the 50s and 60s. Wow, you talk about it. Every one of you have been nuked you all have a lot more carbon-14 than our previous ancestors because of our proliferation of nuclear weapons. Uh, nothing you can do about that. You've got to die somehow. We know that volcanic activity changes carbon-14 as well. So, so you're going to tell me what's going on with your carbon-14 and some animal that died in the past and is in the fossil record. Can you tell me how many volcanoes were happening around that time in, in his lifetime? You can't. You can't. So it's just a big guessing game. So... Why are we dependent upon this? We can't depend. We've got, a, we got a, a tape measure with no marks on it. And you can't get accurate measures uh, for that reason. So production has remained the same. We, again, we've proven. So we also believe, the evidence is prolific, that there was a worldwide catastrophic flood that killed everything. Plants, animals, everything. Vast mats of floating, rotting material, animals, etc., vastly, it would totally skew your numbers as far as C12 production, I'm sorry, C14 production over C12. Unless you know exactly what that is, what, your, what the original numbers were, you can't know what the following numbers would be. Again, it's completely, it's completely not science. It's completely not. The way they handle it may be science, but, but the, way, the, way that they, the way they come to their conclusion may be scientific, but the, the way they get their answer isn't. They don't, have a, they don't have a beginning point. They don't know what it is. Another assumption, a belief, is that all plants and animals utilize carbon-14 equally across the board. That also has been disproven. Here, here's an example. Uh, mollusks were found off the coast of Hawaii. Their shells were carbon-14 dated, and the mollusks dated uh, to have, they said they, they, were di they died, must have died 2,000 years ago. The, only, the biggest shock was to the mollusks because they were still in somebody's aquarium alive and doing well. 
This is how accurate carbon-14 is. It's not. So, so why... We're all intelligent, common-sense people here. Why do they stick with this? Well, here's the biggest problem. The biggest problem with evolution, radiometric dating, and everything else is human bias. Dates that do not fit desired theory were thrown out. It's just that simple. They have a premise, a belief system, that they're trying to prove. And they will only keep the data that proves it, and they'll throw everything else out. The pursuit is not of the truth. Because the truth brings them back to their original problem that they have to answer to a creator. They don't want to do that. They'll avoid it like the plague. They will not have anything to do with it. So they'll only stick with data that holds their position. So here's what happens in their process. Uh, again, just because they're scientists doesn't mean they're unbiased. There's no education. You go to the un Did you get a degree in unbiasedism? Me either. There's no such thing. You're a human being. You're biased. I don't care who they are. Uh, they're biased. So, so what they do is they claim cross-contamination. So an evolutionist can present a sample for testing in a lab, but then this is what he does. He tells the lab assistant that we believe this is going to be between 50 and 100,000 years old. 50,000 to 100,000. So what does a lab tech do? This is his job, ladies and gentlemen. This is how he keeps his pay and pays for his kids to go to college. He makes sure... So he gets nine results that show between two and 4,000 years, and he gets one that says 65,000 years. Which one's he going with? You know the answer. This is how we get these numbers. They've, they've been arrived at no, no greater science. That's not science. That's a conclusion looking for an answer, not, an, not answers drawing from which we draw conclusions. That's not how science works, but that's exactly what happens. Very bad science, but it's practiced all the time in order to make things fit an evolutionary model, because they already firmly believe it. Why do they do this? Again, Jesus told us this. Your, your Bible has all the answers for this, because of human nature. And here's human nature. This is the judgment. This is John chapter 3, Jesus speaking, verses 19 through 21. This is the judgment, Jesus says, that the light has come into the world. So what's the final judgment? So your son has got a really messy room, and he says he's cleaned it up, but he doesn't want you to turn on the light. So either you can A, believe him, or B, turn on the light. But here's what, here's what I know about the light. It is the truth. The light's the truth. We can come up with all kinds of narratives. We can tell all kinds of stories. We can believe whatever we want to believe. We can really hope our son tells us the truth. You know, that's what we're really looking at scientists. They're like our kids out here. We're hoping they tell us the truth, guys. They're not. They're biased sinners. Here's, here's the truth. Judgment is coming to the world. Light is coming to the world. People love the darkness rather than light. How could they be so biased? There's your answer right there. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to know it. I'm not saying about every last one of them. But, but the main guys in charge and the guys who created evolution definitely did not want to know the truth. Anything that they could come up with that would explain it away. For their deeds, notice, were evil. They don't want to answer to God. For everyone who does evil hates the light. So I, I want to keep my room messy, and I don't want you to get me in trouble, so I'm not going to let you turn on the light. Mom, please don't turn on the light, because the light hurts my eyes, and you don't want to do that, and, and uh, that, you need to turn on the light, don't you? It does not come into light, so his deeds will not be exposed, but the one who practices the truth comes into the light. If I clean my room, I want you to come in here. I want, I want to make sure I get my allowance. I want you to see everything, so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed by God. They don't want that. Again, you're, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, telling, I'm shooting at you because I believe you're a believer. But if you're going to go at them with this kind of stuff, you're going to get, like I said, you're going to get a lot of angry people. And the truth, you need, we need to be kind. We need to be ready, ready to give a response to whoever asks us. And, and, of course, the gospel is so important. The gospel begins, I believe, with creation. But uh, understand, they don't want you to know. They don't want this thrown into their face. Just be, be warned. Uh, be careful. Probably the best description of the problem using carbon-14 dating method is summed up in the words, we had to go to Canada to find somebody that tells the truth. By Dr. Robert Lee, assistant editor of Anthropological Journal of Canada, he wrote this article in 1981. This is an evolutionist. This is a, a scientist. Uh, uh, but, I mean, hats off to the guy. At least he was honest. Here's, here's, here's his words. I didn't record them all, but here's just a, an excerpt. The troubles of radiocarbon dating method are undeniably deep and serious. 
Despite 35 years, he writes this in 1981, radiocarbon dating wasn't started until the late 40s, I believe. Despite 35 years of technological refinement and better understanding, the underlying assumptions have been strongly challenged and warnings are out that radiocarbon may soon find itself in a crisis situation. This is 1981. Why haven't you heard about this? Well, they don't want you to know because it undermines their positions and it undermines, by the way, their, their funding. And goodness, we want the money to continue to flow. Continuing use of the method depends on fix-it-as-we-go approach. So we're basing our entire worldview on a fix-it-as-we-go. You know, we're going to put, it, it keeps getting a flat, we could put in a patch on it instead of changing the tire. Allowing for contamination here, fractionation there, calibration wherever possible. And then he says some really big words, and I, I've cut them off back there, I'm going to read them back here. Should be no surprise then that fully half of the dates are rejected. Why? Because they, you don't know what you start with. So we, 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 did we start with 10? Did we start with a million? We don't know. So how can we know what the, what the conclusion is? So it's got to be something less than what it started with, but if you don't know what it started with, well, like I said, the tape measure has no marks on it. The wonder, he said, I love the way he puts this, the wonder is surely that the remaining half has become accepted. Because it's just, you know, you're out there in the ethereal realms. There's no real answers. No matter how useful it is, though, the radiocarbon method is still not capable of yielding accurate and reliable results. There are gross discrepancies. The chronology is uneven uh, and relative. And the accepted dates are the selected dates. That's what I told you before. They just select dates. We think it's going to be this old. By the way, where did they get that information from? They get it from the anthropologist who dug it up at a certain level, and he thinks that level is that old. That's all he does. He just believes it is. And so he tells the lab tech what it's going to be because he believes that because if he gets any other answers, it's going to mess with his theology. The theology there isn't God, and he doesn't want to answer to him. Again, Dr. Robert Lee, Anthropological Journal of Canada. Examples of, of bad dates. Here's some examples, and there, there's just a plethora of them. There's no way to, I mean, they're just tremendous. Like I said, more than half of them are, even by those who are biased, are considered wrong. So, you know, you can imagine how many bad dates are here? Here's some examples. Again, we, we, since we know what we're starting with, we can, we can know, we can me we, since we, we actually have an actual measure of these things, we know when these things took place, we can have an actual measurement of the stuff that we don't understand, like radiocarbon dating. Was, does it really, is it really accurate? Here's, here's some examples. Mount Etna erupted 2,100 years ago, well documented. Uh, nevertheless, the rocks from the eruption were dated at 25 million years old by radiocarbon dating. So you throw the tape measure away, right? It would seem like they would. They're not going to do it. Lava flow from a volcano in New Zealand erupted in 1949 and again in 1954 was tested at 275 years, 5,000 years old. But, but, but of course, they don't keep that number because we know when it erupted. We got pictures of it. We got data and books that tell us about it. Mount St. Helens erupted all in our lifetimes. Uh, erupted in 1980. Some of its rocks were dated at this amazing one, 2.8 million years old. We know exactly. We have video. You can go on YouTube. It's on YouTube. You know when it happened. And, and of course, those numbers are thrown out. They're not accepted because we have, a me we have something to measure them against. So in interesting that every time we have measurable dates, and we place them up against, uh, black, splash them up against radiocarbon dating. Radiocarbon dating is, is shown to be totally ridiculous. But if we don't have, we don't know when it exploded, we don't know when the volcano went off, we don't know when the mudslide happened, guess what they do? They stick to radiocarbon dating. Here's, here's their answer. This is straight from evolution's mouth. If we know the dates of these rocks, then we can reject the radiocarbon dating. Of course, if you've got you know, Mount St. Helens blowing up in 2000. I mean, uh, 1980, and you get a 2.8 million, million year reading of where you're going to throw that out. But notice, they don't throw, they, you should throw it all out. But, but if we don't know the date, then, there are, then, we, are formed, then we, we can trust the radiocarbon date. <laughs> That's science for you. Again, they're not all like that. Not all like that. Well, there's, there's some great guys and gals who are really seek, seeking for the truth. But I'm telling you, they don't get published. And they don't get funded. Because it's heavily, heavily biased because people love the darkness and they don't want to come into the light. 
Uh, during, during, you know who Mark Twain is, right? Gotta love this guy. Now, evolution was a new teaching when Mark Twain was writing things like Tom Sawyer and other things. And Tom, I mean, Mark Twain wrote also a memoir slash book called Life on the Mississippi. Anybody read it? Life on the Mississippi. He has a, he has a, uh, he, he takes a shot at the, like I said, evolutionists of the day. And evolution was, was not prominent, but it was making all kinds of uh, headway with, with predictions and assumptions, and it was blindsiding people, and people didn't really have an answer to it. But it's interesting, and Mark Twain, of course, was the, the type of guy that could smell uh, a rat, you know, pretty well. And he knew when people were blowing smoke, he, he wasn't necessarily the best guy in the world, but he certainly had a, had a perspective on human life that was, uh, well, we appreciate it at least because we love to read his books and other things. And it, one of the things he said, one of the things that were going on during his lifetime was there was, a, there was this assumption regarding the Mississippi del Delta, uh, which of course juts out into the Gulf of Mexico south of Louisiana, uh, and, and that, the Gulf, that it was far longer in the distant past. And they were predicting that they will be able to judge after several hundred years the erosion of the delta, and we would know how long the earth has been here based upon its erosion and all this. Anyway, he, he, he thinks it's, he grew up on the Mississippi, he thinks it's ridiculous, and so he points it out in some of his writings, and I, I love the way he puts it here. So, so uh, it, in other words, that the erosion would demonstrate that the earth has been here for millions, if not billions of years. So he, he, here's how he writes in his memoir, like I said, Life on the Mississippi. He says this, I'm going to try to say it as he would say it. In the space of 167 years, the lower Mississippi has shortened itself by 240 miles. That's an average of a trifle over a mile and a third per year. Therefore, any calm person who is not blind or idiotic could see that in the old Oolithic Silurian period, just a million years ago next November, that the lower Mississippi was upwards of 1.3 million miles long, stuck out across the, the Gulf of Mexico like a fishing rod, and by the same token, any same person can see that 742 years from now, the lower Mississippi will be only a half, of, half and a third mile long, and that Cairo and New Orleans will have joined their streets together and be plodding comfortably along under the single mayor and a mutual board of aldermen, he writes. Well done. And then he says this, and, and to me, this is... Sum, sum up evolution science. Here it is. He sums it up very well. There is something fascinating about science. One gets such wholesale returns of conjecture out of such trifling investments of fact. Again, he's just an old common sense guy from, was it Missouri? And uh, worked on the river, observed human beings, he could see what worked, what didn't work, because that's what we base our lives on. You know, I don't care what science says, but that doesn't work, because if you do this, you know, a turtle on a fence post, you know, Kirby's going to waste his whole life trying to figure out how the, I don't, well, it's probably aliens, Kirby. You didn't, <laughs> see? Kirby, you're not thinking right. <laughs> you know, the sun, moon, and stars came together, and there was a stardust, and there was a lightning bolt, and a turtle grew legs, and he walked up, but then he lost his legs, and he sank back down on top of the telephone. There, I mean, fence post. There you go, Kirby. That's the answer. Of course not. Of course not. He's rode too many fences. He's seen too many turtles. He's observed. Again, that's science. That's what science is. You just have a regular guy here, Mark Twain. Smart guy. And no, no, no reason to think he was a scientist, any other perspective, other than he just simply could sit back and say, hmm, that sounds stupid. And you know what? It really is. So we're going to stop there. We did pretty good. Questions? There, there's the guy again. We're going to get to him. And there's the chart next time. And the alligator next time. And the fossils next time. And the sea turtles next time. And for all those who love wolves, next time. Oh, they turned me off. There he is. How would you like for the wolves? The old wolves were that big. That would have been bad. Questions? It's all good. You knew you felt spacey, right? 
felt a little draft between your ears every morning for me until I have coffee. Charlie? Has there been an attempt to use anything other than carbon dating to... Uh, radiocarbon dating, yeah, they use a lot of other things. They use, I mean, radiocarbon dating is, I mean, you mean other than carbon-14, they use other things as well. It has the same problems. It, ha it has the same problems. Um, because you, you have to know what the original measurement was in order to know what your final number is. So if I don't know if I have 20 or 500 to start with, then I can't. Even though I know what my number is that I conclude with, you can, they have very accurate ways of measuring carbon-14. But in, until you know what the original number was, then you, can't you have nothing to subtract it from. It's your just total conjecture and belief. That's, you've got to base your whole life on that because you believe it. Yeah, I'm basing my whole life on what I believe. We, we, we really are left with nothing but belief systems. We really are. We really have only been here a little while, and we're guessing about the past. And, uh, but there's some things that we can guess about the past that are reasonable and some things that aren't, aren't reasonable. One of the things, by the way, that a major lie, in my opinion, is that we were dumb in the past and we've gotten smart in the future. And I, don't find, I can't find that evidence. We were way smarter. And one of my first, uh, you know, I was way smarter back when I was 26 and became a pastor than I am now, 30 years later. I was way better at theology, but I got some of these great old guys, Arthur Pink and um, I can't remember all the, all dead, all of them, been dead, you know, 100 years. And I was reading their books. I was like, is this English? Because it's not the kind of English that I, you know, am familiar with. They, they came across way smarter. We're, my, the novel, every, you can't sell a novel now if you write it in the good, old, solid, well-versed English. These guys would write sentences that were a paragraph long. But it was correctly punctuated, and it made sense today. Our, our sentences have to, have to be on one line. It's got to have you know, the, 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 the breakdown. And we're, we, we've not increased in knowledge. We've not, I shouldn't say that. We've increased in knowledge. But we've certainly not increased in intelligence. And we're going to see the, the reason why next time. Part of the reason is, is we've lost um, our ages. Can you imagine what it would be like if things, people were living, animals were living, including that, uh, as they were prior to the flood, somewhere close to a thousand years? Uh, George Washington would only be about 200 years old, still living with us. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that skew the politics? <laughs> you would think, anyway. Of course, all we got is what he wrote and what the forefathers wrote. And, of course, they're misinterpreting that in nine ways of the insane asylum. But what if the guy was here who wrote it and said, that's not what we meant? That'd be great. He's young, 200 years old, for a 900-year-old person. Prior to the flood, we're going to consider those implications and what we can learn from Chapter 5. Yes, ma'am, you have your hand? Well, what would you say is the uh, age of the earth? What would I say the age of the earth is? I would say what the Bible says, 6,000, 7,000 years. 6,000, Yeah, because I, I'm guessing... And I'm not smart enough to guess anything better than the Bible says. So neither is anybody else, even though they'd like to tell you that they are. But they got no, they got no way to measure it. And again, it's, it's based on assumptions. All the stars are this far away, and we know that the light speed is, is this fast. But there's a whole lot of evidence out there to demonstrate that light speed in the past was faster. In fact, reaching infinity not, not too many thousand years ago. So, yeah, if everything has stayed exactly the same, if we go out and measure the sun and the moon and the, and the amount of oxygen in the air and the amount of carbon-14, if everything has stayed exactly the same and nothing has changed it from the millennia that we've been here, then we have some kind of standard by which we can measure. But if there has been major cataclysms and changes and things have degenerated, which, of course, like I said, everything has, including speed of light, then unless we know what the original measure was, we can't figure out where we are now. So, so we're left with conjecture and belief. That's all we've got. Yes, ma'am. So what you said about people being smart right away, God created us smart. Um, yeah, if you go with the genealogy back, you get that six, 7,000 years, but you, it's also when they find language like that. I'm sorry? That's also when they find the first sign of language. Yes. So they say, all those years, nobody talked or said anything. And I know. Communicated, but then when the Bible says man started, that's, what, that's also the time that they'll find. Go, go back. A, a, a great, that's, that's a, a great point. 
But, but go back into the early the, the, the languages. The languages were far more sophisticated in the past. Go back. Chinese is hard to learn. Try old Chinese. Try, try Koine Greek, which is what your New Testament was written in. The whole Bible was written eventually in the uh, Septuagint. Far more sophisticated than the English language. Vastly. They, they could do and say things that we can't do. They could do it in a word or two. We have to do it in a paragraph. We're dumber than they were. It's not just one language. We're talking about all kinds of languages. A lot of the a lot of American Indian languages, a lot of the Oriental languages. Woo! Complicated. We have 26 letters, right? Down to 24, right? We're just eliminating them. I think we should go with 19 or 10. <laughs> they had hundreds of letters. And you go back far enough, all, all of their languages were hieroglyphic, including Hebrew. All hieroglyphic. We just think the Egyptians were that way. No, they were all that way. They had very sophisticated ways of communicating and very, very powerful ways of doing things. Like I said, we talked about the, the pyramids. So you can't even align your car with the stars. You wouldn't know unless somebody told you. They could align an entire pyramid. It's all about gigantic structures. Exactly with the stars. How'd they do that? You couldn't do that. No, you go on, I know, you go on, I just do like I do. I go to YouTube and, you know, get a compass out. It's nice to have all that stuff. They didn't have any of that. How'd they do it? The Central American, South American Indians, where light would come through their, their temples and their structures at exactly the same time every single year, and they could measure all that. Woo! Smart. Smarter than me. For sure. So, we're, we're, again, there's no evidence of evolution. There's great evidence of devolving. We're not getting smarter. Our language is devolving. Our, our physical beings are devolving. We're going downhill, not uphill. So, yes, sir? Well, you know, I, it's the same scientists. It's the same scientists because, again, they're asking you to believe stuff. Again, as soon as I say belief, we don't have science. We believe in 50 years the Earth is going to be this much warmer. You automatically know you don't have science. Now, can beliefs actually turn out to be true? Yes, they're easily tested. 50 years from now, we'll have a, we'll have a meeting and we'll say they were or they were not true. But you can, again, part of, and I can't speak for all of them, but, but again, a part of, our, part, of, part of the power that science and 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 government, you know, oh, it's interesting that now we have government here to protect us, whereas uh, our original forefathers said you need to be protected from government. But we've totally changed that. Government's nothing, they're only interested in our good. <laughs> Science is only interested in the, you know, in the right answers. No, follow, follow the beliefs and follow the money. People have not changed. They are the same the Garden of Eden, um, Cain and Abel, brother killing brother. We are no better. If anything, we are worse than that. Uh, but again, they're, they're just asking you to believe it. So you immediately know how to shelve it. It's not science. Now, they might be right, but you're going to have to wait 50 years to find out. And between now and then, they're going to tax you on what they believe <laughs> is true. And they're going to make you get rid of your carbon-burning car and you get an electric burning car. I told you there's no financial advice here, but you need to buy uranium. You need to get it. You're going to have to electrify the whole world, and you're not going to build. And they're going to take away our carbon. I mean, 80% of in Texas at least, 80% of electricity is produced by natural gas. So they're going to take that away. How are you going to produce electricity? We can't even keep up with the grid we've got. We are we are losing power. We just we we can't. Our our grid can barely maintain. I want to wake up with electricity on. How about you? I don't want to wait till the wind blows or the sun shines for electricity works. There has to be base load. And the only, the only non-carbon, very reliable, very effective base load energy is uranium. It is nuclear. And the advances they've been taking, again, you've got a nuclear scientist in here, you can have a conversation with him. I already did today. But uh, small modular nuclear reactors, man, these things are, he was just telling me, what is it, 100 years? They don't, or a lifetime, you don't have to refuel them. You just turn them on. Small modular, you can power a city, you can, a community or a province.
especially if there's only, what, 16,000 in Yukon. Goodness, a small modular reactor will work great. Y'all don't have nuclear power. What do you have? Hydro? Hydro? Okay, so no nuclear up there. All the nuclear reactors are in the east, right? Ontario, Ottawa, yeah. Um, but, I mean, nuclear, I mean, who wants to die with, you know, a nuclear, but uh, the nuclear problems, we all, we all think about nuclear problems, and, and you say, well, but, so you're going to choke to death on carbon smoke, you know, you've got to die somehow. I'd rather go down on a nuclear fire than, you know, die of lung cancer from, you know, if we're going to talk, I mean, if we're going to do that. But, uh, but again, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Just, just look up back to, um, y'all got all kinds of time, right? Back to, back to uh, global warming. So, so you know, there, <laughs> it's so dumb, it's amazing. You know, they're going to tax us now for, for cows farting. Like I said, it's the same aliens that put the turtle on Kirby's fence post. It's the same ones. It's just right down the middle, of that, and they're going to tax us for that because they're, they're, you know, what what's going on? What's the, what's the agenda out there? What's the real the real thing? Where's the money? What's 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 happening? They're going to take away our our carbon, and I, you know, if we could live off of if we don't have to drag up oil and gas and burn uh, carbon, I'm all for it. But, but you're going to take it all away, but, and at the same time, uh, ban all nuclear reactors as they did, like, for instance, in Germany and, and uh, Japan in past uh, 15 years. So go talk to the Germans right now. Well, they've had a, bad, they've had a good, good winter. I mean, by God's grace. But they didn't have, they didn't have the baseload to carry their people. If they'd had a bad winter, winter's not over. We've still got a ways to go. Germany's a cold place and a dark place and a windless place, and they've got windmills and and um, solar panels, and they've shut down their entire nuclear, they did shut down their entire nuclear fleet, they fired it back up. Now they're burning coal, which, you know, talk about some global warming. But, but one, of the, one of the problems that I have with global warming, just look up the statistics. If we have one volcano blow up, the amount of carbon that enters the... So if we all get taxed on our cow farts, sorry, and one volcano will mess the whole thing, we could have been eating steak this whole time, and one volcano blows... And it, it ruins the whole thing. We're going to all be so mad. And that, it happens, doesn't it? Just had this massive earthquake. I mean, that's seismic stuff going on. Uh, things happen, and we can't control it. And we're not in control. But again, we have certain people with lots of money and lots of power who, in some cases, in my opinion, just love to push buttons. They just want to push you. They just want to see you do something. You grew up with somebody like that. Just, was, just wanted to see just wanted to see the world burn. They just want to make your life miserable for no other reason other than that. And there's some people in control that are like that. They always have been. Never doubt it. There really is a conspiracy. It's on a spiritual level. The Bible's very clear on that. So, yeah, you're not tinfoil hat. There is a conspiracy. Uh, I can confirm that for you for sure. Yes, ma'am, you've been waving at me. I just wanted to say there we do have some measure, measurements. I mean, Al Gore predicted that we were going to be frozen 12 months. I know. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> And you got a Nobel Prize for that. <laughs> yep. Right. We're not getting smarter. We're not. We're not. But again, what, what is our defense against this? Number one, the scriptures. Scriptures are the light. They're the truth. They will help you think clearly. I'm having a problem with this. Well, the scripture doesn't speak about that directly, but the scripture will give you light in all other areas of your life and give you the ability to see through. Like I said, this... You know, the scripture doesn't talk about global warming or evolution necessarily, but it does talk about the truth and what isn't truth and what is belief and what isn't belief and what facts are and what they aren't. And so just, just with a little bit of, of, well, I shouldn't say that, with a lot of, of, of scripture and a little bit of common sense, you can get through life a whole lot better, a uh, whole lot better. And that used to be what we were based on in our culture. We're not that anymore. And that's why, we're, that's why things are so crazy. So it's not, unless there's an intervention of some sort on, on a global or spiritual level, we're not going to get better. Because they're, well, as I've said before, you people, and I'm now into the you people because I'm turning 56, are getting old and dying, and we're leaving the world in the hands of whack jobs, nutties, <laughs> nutty people. And they're in charge. 
And they're, they're putting turtles on fence posts with, with, with aliens. And they're making facts out of belief systems 50 years from now and charging us money for it. They're in charge now. So, you know, I mean, it doesn't do you any good to get mad, even though mm, it feels good, you know, for a short amount of time. <laughs> but it doesn't change anything. We just live in a dark world and we're expecting things to be different than what the scripture says, which is going from better to worse. And it's just not going to be anything other than that. And it's sad. I miss the world I grew up in. I miss the world that used to be confident in a certain level of common sense that was in the world that I, that I came from. It's just, it's, it's not here. And again, if God doesn't intervene, it will not ever be back here. It just won't. It's sad. For sure. Okay? All good? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you that, uh, again, you're the light. And we need the light in our lives, God. We're easily deceived. Uh, we've been wrong way more than we've been right in this life, and it will, it will continue to be that way unless, God, you intervene. So we're asking for your intervention. Open our eyes. Teach us the truth. Help us to see uh, how to live, not just focus, not just knowing what the future ultimately holds, but what day-to-day, what it's supposed to hold. God, I thank you that if we don't trust in ourselves, we trust in you, and we acknowledge you as king every day over our lives and over all that we are and have. Uh, that you direct our paths. And so we're trusting that, God. Help us to take our position as sheep so that you can be the shepherd. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.